Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Humans of Magic, the podcast that gets deep and personal with your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. This is episode 52 with Gabrielle Nassif. Gabrielle is one of the greatest Magic players of all time, with nine Pro Tour top eights, including two wins. With his signature yellow hat, he has crushed competitive Magic for well over two decades. Gab is a member of the Magic Hall of Fame, and currently a full-time streamer, where he can usually be seen playing his favorite archetype, Control. Gap has been immortalized in a number of unforgettable moments in Magic, including the called shot with Cruel Ultimatum at Pro Tour Kyoto 2009, and who can forget dodging Patrick Chapin's Lethal Dragonstorm at the 2007 World Championships. The one thing you'll quickly realize is that Gab's life is Magic, He has dedicated so much of his life to it, and he's very honest about what that means. While I do usually edit my interviews for brevity, here I felt like I wanted to keep everything, including Gab's long pauses. He's a very thoughtful person, and I wanted the interview to truly reflect his personality. We're taking a long walk here through his life, the early days of learning magic in Paris, and a bunch of fun stories along the way. I hope you enjoy the listen. Before we begin, let's give a shout out to our sponsors. Music in this episode is brought to you by Kupla. Kupla is an amazing artist and his music has become part of my everyday listening rotation. Check him out on all the places you find music, including SoundCloud and Spotify. Humans and Magic is sponsored by ChannelFireball.com. Channel Fireball is the place to go for all of your magic needs with a huge selection of sealed product, singles, accessories, and more. If you want to level up your magic game, there's a ton of great strategy content on the CFB site, and it's all free. Did you know the M20 set is out? Well, of course you know. It's everywhere. Well, then you don't want to miss out on Luis's set reviews for M20. And how about Magic TV? How about Andrea Mangucci's legacy videos? Just go to channelfireball.com and level up your game today. Humans and Magic is also sponsored by Cardboard Live. Cardboard Live transforms the way you interact with Magic broadcasts, complete with player deck lists, real-time standings, metagame analysis, and more. You can find Cardboard Live on the biggest Magic live streams today, including the Star City Games Open Series, Magic's Mythic Championships, and more. When you watch any of these events live on Twitch, Cardboard Live will be there, waiting for you. And if you're a streamer, you're streaming Magic, then you're going to love using Cardboard Live. It works for Magic Arena, Magic Online, and even your local paper tournaments. It's super easy to use and completely free. To get started, visit Cardboard.Live. Last but not least, I've got an exciting project and it's almost done. It's on the way. I am working on the Humans of Magic book, which is a collection of interviews with the finest magic people on the planet. The book features an all-star lineup, all in one place, of brilliant minds in the game. John Finkel, Luis Scott Vargas, Paulo Vitor Damo de Rosa, Jerry Thompson, Emma Handy. You can find all of their insights on magic and life in this book. The book introduces brand new stuff that you won't find anywhere else exclusive color illustrations, themes linking the interviews together, and a special introduction. And as a thank you to listeners of this show, I am giving away free copies of the book. That's right, free. 
To enter the prize draw, visit the Humans of Magic website at humansofmagic.com. Head over there, join the mailing list, and you will be entered into the draw. Once again, that's humansofmagic.com. The Humans of Magic book is coming soon. Don't miss it. All right, let's get into it. This is Humans of Magic with Gabrielle Nassif. Hey man, how's it going? Hey James, going good, going good. So this is the start of your day, right? I'm trying to figure out because we're doing this online. So whereabouts in the world are you right now? Yeah, I live in uh, in Paris. Well, right outside of Paris. So it's yeah, 20 past 11. I woke up 40 minutes ago. Um, yeah, so just had breakfast and... Uh, now are you recording the podcast? How long have you been living in Paris for? Yeah, my entire life actually. Um, it's funny. A lot of people uh, they see me playing these tournaments and I used to play poker and travel a bunch. And a lot of people assume I either lived in the U.S. or live in the U.S. or lived around, but I've actually never left. Paris. Uh, never like rented a place outside of Paris. I. Uh, so yeah. What's the longest amount of time you've lived outside of Paris? Maybe for traveling. Um, there was definitely a a year or two where I spent almost half the year uh, traveling. Um, so that's also one of the reasons why I never really bothered. I just used to live with my mom until I was pretty old because it was just seems smart we get along well she she leaves me alone so uh you know she liked having me at home too and it did just didn't make sense for me financially to like have my own place i didn't really feel like i needed my own place either so um yeah um yeah between magic and poker at some point i was probably spending like almost five months in the u.s plus a few other weeks in other countries uh so, um, yeah, about half the year maybe, but, um, gone, gone from home, not too sure. Maybe, maybe a couple months, like around the world series of poker. And the world series of poker and poker in general, is that something that you still play regularly? No, I actually haven't played in, I quit online poker. I quit poker, uh, almost uh, a little over two years ago. And um, haven't really missed it at all. The only part I miss is actually the the World Series of Poker. That's always been my favorite uh, part of the year. Um, but uh, I'm married, and uh, my wife used to uh, travel with me before she got a job, so it was an, a big deal if I just uh, was in Vegas for a month and a half. But now she works, so I can't really just uh, leave her for that long so i haven't gone back since but who knows maybe maybe one day i'll go i'll go back but yeah i haven't, I haven't missed online poker at all i like basically i was kind of hating the online grind but uh, i was still sponsored and i was still doing okay so i kept doing it for the money 
And uh, like early 2017, I, I hit a downswing and we had been streaming a bit with some uh, some members of my team of the Pantheon. Um, that was a team was uh, Finkel, Huey, Reed, etc. And I uh, figured out I'd give uh, full-time magic and streaming uh, a shot. So uh, yeah, I decided to kind of just quit poker and, and get back into magic full-time. And never look back, right? No, no, no. Yeah, so far so good. How do you enjoy living in Paris in general? I mean, you obviously are from there and you grew up there. And I imagine the city must have undergone a lot of change over the years, right? Um, it's probably the kind of thing you don't really notice on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I really like Paris. I mean, I have my family. I have two brothers who still live in Paris, and my mom lives in Paris. I have most of my good friends who still uh, live here. So, uh, you know, it's hard to know if I like Paris because it's Paris or just because a lot of people, uh, a lot of my friends and family are here. I've never really lived anywhere else. So I don't have great ways to compare, even if even if I've been all, all around. Um, I have the feeling I'd be I'd be fine living somewhere else. It's not Paris specific, but even though I don't see you know my friends and family all the time, I feel like that probably makes that part. That's probably a not easy, not easy, not easy thing to do to just leave the people you know and love uh, to be a bit you know far from them. So, um, but yeah, Paris. It's obviously a beautiful city. Uh, there's a lot to see, and even if I don't do a ton, but just knowing it's there, I guess, is a, a good feeling. You know, it's nice to know that you don't live in the middle of nowhere, and that if you want to do something or go see something or eat somewhere, it's it's just there, and you you have the option. Yeah, I can relate to that a little bit because I'm also in a big city. I'm in Beijing, China, right now, and I'm I'm definitely not the type of person to go out all the time or party anymore. Or ever, I guess it's just not really wasn't my personality. But Beijing is really great for just having options. You know, if you want to do something outside or you want to go to a particular restaurant, it's so big that there's just so many different things you can do. And I've been here for six, seven years, so I, I also find it hard to imagine now being anywhere else. It's just I'm not saying the two cities are similar, but I'm saying that they're both big cities, and uh, it, it is hard to kind of see the changes day to day, even though they have been things have been changing. Yeah. So, Gab, I thought I would like to start by just asking my guests about sort of starting from the very beginning. I already have a little bit of a sense for your background and your siblings and your parents, but. Maybe start as far back as you can remember. Just tell me anything that you like about your family or where you grew up specifically and uh, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so uh, my family uh, is from Lebanon originally, and uh, they, they moved to France uh, during the during or maybe just a bit before the, the, the Civil War. And uh, my, my two older brothers have... Two older brothers, one's 12 years older, one's nine year older. So I'm kind of the little, uh, a bit, a little, the little one. They were bo- both born in Lebanon, but I was, I was born in Paris. So I don't know, I just grew up in Paris, had, you know, good childhood. My family's not especially rich, but we were like 
you know, not we were fine like we're. So I don't know. I had a good childhood. I was um, pretty close to my older brother, despite the nine-year gap. I'd uh, you know play video games with him and hang out with him, and um, I would. Um, I also remember playing card games with my dad. My dad used to play card games with me. He like passed away when I was pretty young. I think like seven or so, six or seven. But uh, yeah, I guess that's where that's where it started. You know, playing cards with him, like solitaire or other kind of card games, and playing uh, video games with my brother. I was I was lucky. I was like, they they already had. We already had a ton of toys because we had like a huge uh, Lego collection, I guess. I don't know if you call that a collection, but lots of Lego pieces. And then my brother uh, had the video game consoles so I could play with him and his friends. And when his friends would come over, I'd hang out with them. And just pretty competitive with my brother, too. I would, uh, I was like as good or maybe even better than him. And I remember he'd get pretty upset sometimes when I beat him, but... This was the Nintendo era or the Super Nintendo era? So it was, I think, my f the first one. I, maybe we had, like, an Atari or something, but the one I remember starting playing on was... It was a 16-bit, uh, 16 so the Sega Mega Drive and uh, Super Nintendo. Do you remember what games you guys played together? Yeah, we played. Uh, we had a lot of games. Uh, I was really into the sports games, all the the EA sports games. Uh, he'd uh, he'd buy every game. Like every year, he'd we'd get the the basketball one, the hockey one, the football one, um, the baseball one. Sometimes we played some other games. I mean, you know, some we got like Sonic the Hedgehog, the like huge uh, Sonic. But I was really into the the sports game. Um, I used to actually know a lot about American sports just through playing the games. I knew all the players, all the stats, uh, all that kind of stuff when I was younger. Yeah, my brother was just really into American sports. He actually played American football, which is pretty rare in France when he, when he was uh, younger. So it was a childhood with lots of competitive gaming. Like, What's the most heated or passionate you have gotten with your brother when you guys were playing a game together i don't remember i mean it was it never got too bad you know he no we, we got along really well he he took care of me a lot because uh you know my my older brother was always pretty busy with studies and then work and stuff and uh yeah so but i don't have one specific mem memory of the situation getting really heated, mostly him being a bit upset because when I beat him. Was it always very competitive with everything you guys did? Um, no, just, I mean, that's what we did, mo you know, when we spent time together, that was mostly, uh, mostly uh, playing video games. So, uh, but we're, we're nine years apart, so we weren't really competitive in other, in other areas and he would uh, no just just that i see and going to school in your childhood what was that like did you have any favorite subjects or teachers at all um i had uh i i kind of liked all, all my teachers in uh i guess in primary school and uh, middle school middle school i had like i went to like 
pretty good schools. I was pretty lucky. You know, we grew up in a good neighborhood and went to good schools. Um, and when I was a kid, I had like two of my best friends who lived in my building. So that was cool. And um, I guess I kind of liked math when I was a kid. I've always liked math. I uh, actually skipped, they made me skip a class when I was seven, I think. Basically, I did like one trimester in one class, and then the next two trimester in the, 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 you know, the, the upper class the next year or so. And what were you into other than video games with your brother? Did you also do sports or did you have other activities or hobbies? I liked playing soccer and I think I, I played a basketball for a year when I was a kid. But then the maybe a year or two, but the place where I went kind of closed, the club that closed. So I, then I played soccer for a few years and I tried to go back to basketball at some point, but that didn't work out. So uh, well, what do you mean by not working out? Um, the, the people were just it was when I was in, a, in middle school or no high school. It was when I was in high school. And I don't know, I wasn't that good, you know, I was playing on the like, but the, the, just the, 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 the kids, I guess, were, it was not the greatest experience. It was not bad, bad, but it was, I only played, I think I only played a year and then decided I didn't want to anymore. Might have had to do with magic too, that, that was just happier, just going to play magic and stuff and didn't want to bother. How did you find magic exactly? Like how old were you when you, and what set was it when you first started? So when we first started, I was in middle school. So I probably was what, like 10, 11 or 12 maybe. And well, I guess it's easy to figure out. It was Ice Age. Um, my friends, I just had friends, my, 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 school, my middle school friends, some of them I'm still a, a really good friends was, uh, to this day, it's like my group of middle school, high school friends that I stayed close to. Um, I don't know, they just play, started playing the, that card game and I had no idea what it was, but it looked cool. So I just started playing with them. And um, the one friend I was actually his uh, best man at his wedding and he always jokes that I owe him everything. <laughs> <laughs> because he was partially responsible for introducing you to the game. Exactly. So, yeah, I think I think it was they started was actually uh Homelands, I think, which is unfortunate for them. My memory, I don't know if it's romanticized or not, but was that at my first boost first booster pack I opened, uh I bought was an Ice Age booster pack and the first rare I ever opened was a Jester cap. But I don't know if that's actually true or if it's just it could be selective memory, right? But we'll, we'll stick yeah, to exactly. that story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what was it about magic that attracted you in the beginning? I mean, obviously magic is, has good art and has a fantasy theme, but the game itself, like how long did you play it before you sort of felt like this was really interesting or was it right away? Um, I don't know. I don't know what it was exactly. I think I've like the, the the card games were always cool. I think when I was younger, there was maybe a Star Wars card game that I maybe bought a few packs of. And there used to be these Dragon Ball cards. I'm not even sure. I still have them. 
Yeah, and it was these Dragon World cards. I don't know if there was a way to play with them, but I remember that we would travel, like we would cross like half of Paris to like go spend our money to get these these Dragon World cards. They were really cool looking, mm-hmm. but we never re- even really played with them. So I was, I guess, I was always attracted to that stuff. And I don't know my my friends were playing, and I'm not exactly sure why why this game why it was a uh, you know, so so appealing, and we're so into it because obviously we weren't good, and we probably didn't know the rules. You know, like everyone who starts playing Magic, um, especially uh, especially back then. Um, so I honestly can't remember exactly what it was about the game that why I got so into it, and why I because what happened is my friends we we played, but they never really got serious about it. I have one friend that came with me to a tournament. Uh, that was a bit later when we were in high school, I guess, like so maybe three or four years later. But um, yeah, I decided I want to I want to get more serious about it. So I started. It was really cool back then. It was you know very little internet, so it was it's like oh this shop has a, a binder of cards. That's super exciting, you know. Mm-hmm. Just it's, it was a it was a video game. Uh, not a video game. It was a video shop by our by our um, middle school, and they had the dude had. I'm pretty sure the dude had no clue. I think he had like Duskwood Boar at you know forty francs back. I think it was selling francs. It was like you know like eight euros or something for Colin. And I kind of have this memory of these really bad cards being just he, pretty expensive. He just had, yeah. yeah, he just happened to have a binder of magic cards. And then you'd find another shop that had cards. And then eventually I found about, um, you know, the F-Cube, which was the iconic, like, game shop in Paris where there was this there was this spot in Paris uh, called Jussieu where there was a university. And right in front there was kind of a, a plaza, a place where people would come and trade uh, magic cards because it was right by that shop um so i found out about that that was amazing and i found out about a magazine called lotus noir which means black lotus which was a just french magazine about magic you know so i found out about the i read about the pro tour and i found my first competitive deck list mm-hmm. um you know it was like little st- every time there was something else it wasn't since there was like very little internet there wasn't you didn't just have everything all of a sudden it was just that kind of yeah there was a kind of discovery process like a unknown exactly thing, right oh i'm gonna exactly. play against somebody and he has an unknown card that i've never seen before which is really exciting. yeah that too yeah yeah uh, and i don't know i guess it was that was that was also part of what make it made it uh so cool but yeah i don't even remember if between the time we we started and the time i got serious what it's kind of fuzzy. I don't really remember what happened in like these few years because, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure. It was a really long time ago. But what you said is that you first got in contact with the game along with all these other card games. And then three or four years later, you went to the to play in a tournament for the first time. Is that right? Yeah, maybe maybe a timeline is not exactly right, but uh, I'm not sure how long uh, it took us to get to a tournament. I think it was like a few years later, yeah, and we kind of, me and my friends, like, we pulled all our friends' cards to make ourselves, like, too 
the two possible best decks best decks we could was the cards we had and i think we went i think i actually won two matches out of seven i'm not sure how my friend did like i remember his mom drove us there it was uh, right outside of paris and uh yeah it was cool it was like the the pairings were made by uh by voice you know there was um or maybe anyways yeah but yeah that was so that was my first my first tournament and you just kept going back for more like was it like became a every week thing or whenever you could get someone's parent to drive you guys yeah definitely it was so that place where people traded card it was mostly busy on wednesdays and saturdays these were the two big days and i think i tried I can't remember if I tried to go there like once a week or twice a week. Um, and then I found out about uh, another game store that had opened. Uh, I'm not sure how long it had been open for, but it was called Ostelen. And it was that huge, like, kind of indus- industrial. Like, they had a big, uh, just a huge room and tables and some com- some computers and yeah i found out that place and that place became my my second home basically i was there all the time every day after school uh, i'd go there after school before going home and you know every day on holiday and all basically all my free time there is it safe to say that school became less of a focus at that time yeah that de- definitely my my grades uh I had really good grades in primary school. I was like, you know, it's kind of top three student. Then in, in middle school, it was, you know, my grades were still pretty good. And in high school, it was, you know, the, the minimum. I remember my my math teacher being kind of frustrated with me in, in high school because I was just coasting by, basically. Like you, you knew how to do it if you really applied, but you just didn't want to spend the, the time, right? Yeah, I was, I was always pretty lazy i guess maybe not always but i definitely got lazy uh in in high school and even like in university too oh okay i'm kind of jumping ahead here but what was the first significant finish that you had as a magic player so i had um had a period where actually my parents uh uh didn't want me to play uh my mom didn't want me to play magic anymore so i had almost maybe i don't know if it was a few months or almost a year where i would just you know lie about it i'd say i'd be hanging out at my friend's place after school i don't know how long it took them to find out oh but, uh, so they said gab you have to focus on school or something like that i don't know they just didn't like it i guess i don't exactly remember Maybe I should ask her about it next time I see my mom, but I don't remember what triggered it or why she thought she was maybe a bit worried about, you know, this card game that I was spending all my time on. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, I wasn't allowed to play for for a period. And then I found out, and I guess she just, like, kind of gave up. You know, she's like, oh, well, I'm not going to stop him. It's, and um, so there's a period of time where uh, I would uh, just... You know, we play at I play I'd be at my local game store all the time, and uh, I play PTQs. But I didn't think my mom would let me go if I won a PTQ. Mm-hmm. So I would just play these PTQs and just play until I played against a friend, and then just scoop to them. Um, 
just to to help out my friends, I guess, and just because I wanted to compete was, you know, I wanted to play these PTQs. They were the kind of the the biggest tournaments. And um, <laughs> so it's possible that you could have played in more PTs had you not done that. Yeah, honestly, I was there was definitely. Uh, I remember at least a, P, a couple of PTQs where there was one in Paris where I was like five or six zero, and then I played against one of my good friends and scooped. And he actually ended up winning the PTQ, so that's cool. Uh, there was another one where it was, I don't remember, it was like Friday night, and my friends were, you want to go and play a PTQ in south of France, like eight-hour drive? I was like, driving eight hours to play a PTQ where I can't even, you know, go if I win? Yeah, sure, sounds great, man. I mean, <laughs> so we just went. I think it was Seal Deck, and same thing. I started like 4 or something, then yeah. played against someone I knew, and scoop to them and i mean it was was the was the real real brothers and a couple others anyway so there was that period of time and then you know i was i was doing well in the, the local scene i remember the my first big win was um there was a black every sunday there was a big tournament or maybe it was once a month there's a big tournament was like a piece of power usually and that weekend was like a, a black lotus mm-hmm. and I uh, I won. It was standard. I was playing a, a slivers deck, so that was my my first uh, first first big win, and uh, I instantly traded in the Black Lotus for Star Credit uh, <laughs> to be able to you know you know draft some more, play some more, buy sandwiches and sure and drinks, and we also played a lot of uh, they had like a little LAN computer setup, so we uh, we we played a lot of uh, Warcraft too. Back in the day, it was Warcraft 2. That was uh, so that that was kind of my my first big win that I remember. Um, also, top aided uh, nationals I played in the first nationals I played in. And um, do you remember around what year or set that was? Nationals was I remember I was playing Enchantress in Standard or Argothin Enchantress. So I'm not really good with sets and years. But uh, that's Ur- that's that that's that's Urza block. So um... yeah, that's it's very common. It's like everyone I've talked to, people can only remember the sets and the cards and never the years. Yeah, I'm so bad. I'm so bad. And even f- f- was the most recent cards, even the sets. I've, I mean, sure Urza, Ice Age, you know, Tempest, all these like, and this this I can tell you which cards in which set. But mm-hmm. the most recent, they all like it all blends. I'm not sure why. So how did you go from the person who only won the first two rounds of the first tournament he played in to actually getting good enough to have these kind of finishes? Like, what did you do exactly? What was your process for getting better as a player during this time? Um, so other than just living and breathing magic, I guess it's one part of it. I mean, that's, that's really, that's really it. Honestly, it was just the perfect, uh, the the perfect storm it was just really lucky you know i lived in paris so we had that that game store and just we had some of the best players in the country and i had a place where i could play every day you know that's back when there was no magic online so that was just huge and if you look at the good players from back in the day i think they're all from either big cities or you know maybe they went to university or in university was a bunch of other magic players and I was just super super lucky to to live in the, a place where I could just play every day there was you know drafts firing every night and our drafts were just just the players around the players were just 
better than me. You know, you just had that's how you get better, right? You get to play against people that are better than you, and it was just being a, the 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 right place, I guess. Um, and I was just yeah, I was obsessed. I mean, it was you know every every free second was spent playing magic, and even in class, it was building lists, deck lists, you know, scribbling deck lists. <laughs> yeah, just. You know, it's no, no, uh, no secret here. Just what you said, like living and breathing magic, and having the, you know, the, 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 the place, the, the, the and, you know, that game store where our second home, and just being able to play against the best players in the country. So, who are the players at the time that you learn from? Maybe just by them beating you a lot, or being friends with them or even people that you get exposed to their strategy articles online. I'm just wondering, like, were there any particular influences on you as a player? Um, back then it was, you know, the arguably the best player in France was someone called Franck Canu. He lived in Paris, so we became friends. And, uh, you know, I mean, all the, all these guys, we were all the same. We just, it was all magic all the time, all our free time. So, Kenny, there was also a player called Eric Wien, which pretty much no one will know unless you know you you played the magic in Paris back then. But uh, he was he was really good too. He was kind of my mentor, I guess. He you know, I'd watch him play and and learn from him and he actually really liked control decks too. Um, but he he actually never made the I'm not too sure. I think he maybe his family owned like a restaurant or something like home, so he had to like he couldn't play as much magic after a while. He had to quit. But um, he's definitely someone who you know I probably learned a lot from, and um, just just being surrounded by good players in general. Um, yeah, and then. Um, Later on, I'm not too sure. I feel like that's where, you know, I really got really good. And after that, it was, it was like friendships and stuff. But I don't know if I could talk about like someone really having huge influence on my game. But it was mostly, you know, it's like when you learn something, these are probably the most important years and where you like. Yeah, it's the foundation or the fundamentals, right? Yeah, I guess so. At the time you were cashing these events or winning the Black Lotus, were you in high school already or were you in in university like what what was the time um, no i think i think i was i was uh i was in when i started going to that place i think i was in high school and uh i kept uh so i played my first pro tour when i was 17 and do you remember was, where it was the pro tour yeah, it was Pro Tour Chicago. So basically, what happened? It was at that that uh, yeah when I was in high when I was in uh, high school. I like that that period of time where I was playing PTQs without you know thinking I wouldn't go. And um, came that tournament. It was European Championships in Paris in uh, I believe 2000 or maybe 1999. Anyways, so I same thing. You know, there's that huge PTQ because it's during European Championships. And it's um, Mer- Mercadia Block Constructed. I'm playing uh, Blue-White Control. 
And um, so I play, uh, you know, I, uh, I play, I win, I keep uh, playing against people I didn't, I didn't know. You know, there was more people I didn't know because there was a bunch right. of... So you're not going to scoop to them, just beat them. <laughs> exactly. I beat them, I beat them. Eventually, I make it all the way to the, to the semis. It was a, a two-slot PTQ. And, uh, you know, I get paired against someone that I don't know. So I, I call my brother and I'm like, look, I'm playing this tournament. If I win the next match, I get to uh, qualify for that tournament in Chicago. Um, you know, if I win, will you help mom, uh, you know, convince mom to let me go to the pro tour? <laughs> and, you know, he was like... Most important phone call of your career, I guess. Yeah, but maybe. And he was like, "Yeah, sure, no problem. Go, go ahead. Uh, beat up, beat that guy, and we'll figure it out. Don't worry about it." So yeah, he's got I your play. Back. I win. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's kind of how it all started. You know, I uh, qualified for my first feat. Yeah, I went to the to the states. Was uh, as, I guess quote-unquote underage uh, but I, I was traveling with the the ruelle you know my mom was a bit worried but mm -hmm. she she kind of knew them so she it was it was it wasn't too bad i was the, the reals were saying. older right yeah they were they were a bit older than me and you know they had been traveling for a while so um but yeah i got, I got to play my first pt i made top 64 so good enough to cash but not good enough to qualify for the next one mm -hmm. and then i um there was like a few months gap where I, uh, we ended up winning a team PDQ a few months later and uh, qualifying for Pro Tour New York, the team won 2001. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like the, where it really started for, for me. I mean, as far as the Pro Tour goes, is there was GP London the week before. I came in second. I lost to Kai in the finals. Mm -hmm. And then we were playing in the team PT the week after in New York. And uh, I lost in the finals to Kai again, back to back. Uh, <laughs> finals lost to Kai, and then I kind of never looked back. You know, I was on the train. And what was it like to play against Kai? I mean, he's obviously one of the the greatest Magic players ever. But I mean, even back then, what was it like? Um, I don't remember honestly. I don't feel like I was too intimidated. He was just Maybe a guy, I right? Was. Just a guy you had to. Yeah, play. I mean, obviously he was he was very good um it's it's kind of i mean i remember the matches and the games but i don't remember how i felt about playing against sky or he even how i like you know it, it was weird back then you didn't you didn't know as much about people um it's funny i had that i had that that false perception of uh of, of players that i thought just the pro players were just so much better and it would be like basically impossible for them to beat them you know yeah. um like for instance i remember my first my first pt the pt in chicago is standard and round one i get paired against uh christian lurs which was a name i recognized because he had top aided uh the i think it was pt chicago the year before and i was like you know man that sucks I, i'm getting paired against someone who top aided a pt How, there's no way i can win you know this guy's obviously just so much better than me mm -hmm. and you know we, i just sit down we start playing i beat him pretty easily 2-0 mm -hmm. um i was playing that blue skies deck and he was playing some kind of grixis control deck 
um, I was even like, I, was, I even kind of bad mannered him because after the match, I asked him if he had a meek stone in his sideboard. Uh-huh. Meek stone's a one mana artifact that doesn't let creatures with power feel more on tap, and that card was really good against my deck. Yeah. So I was like, you know, I was. And just he kind of like just yeah yeah he just kind of smiled at me and didn't answer you know, um, <laughs> you know I was just generally like you know I just didn't know better I guess but obviously you beat someone you don't ask them what's in their sideboard that right. <laughs> <laughs> that card that like trumps you yeah so I was like man that was you know that was not not that hard and uh, yeah you just play your game right. Yeah, exactly. And uh, there's an, another big one. It was that, that's kind of bad, but when I played uh, in London, um, like basically back in the day, French France had a justified bad reputation, but you know, having a bunch of cheaters and stuff. And I like, kind of grew up in that environment where I thought like you know cheating was rampant, and a lot of the, the best players were doing well because they just cheated, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was. I love that story. I, uh, I, I get. I, I was GP London, so the week before the team PT, and uh, you know I'm doing pretty good. I'm maybe like XN one or something on day two, and I, I get paired against Brock Parker, who, uh, you know, American player. We ended up becoming really good friends later. But uh, anyways, so I get paired against him. And I'm like, man, he's he's traveling to a GP, you know, from the US just to play a GP. Uh, so I go to my friend I'm like well you know do you think this guy cheats you know and my friend's like yeah I don't know he's traveling all the way from the US play GP probably you know probably does probably has an edge <laughs> or something and I'm like well that sucks you know so I kind of I get to the table I'm kind of resigned to my fate you know I'm like well this guy's just gonna you know shuffle my deck or something i'm gonna get mana screwed oh man this is hilarious and you have no way to stop it he's just gonna be he's a high level shooter and there's no way you can stop it yeah so we, we sit down and you know i, I he just I, I i i draw a good opening hand and he just mulligans to five or whatever and i win game one and game two like i think he gets mana screwed or something and i just win the match i was like well that wasn't that bad maybe maybe they're not all cheaters you know these uh these these pro players and stuff maybe <laughs> yeah maybe i win you know so that was kind of but it shows you like kind of environments with yeah the, like back in the day kind of dark dark ages of magic and stuff uh mm-hmm. You, you believe what people tell you, right? Because you didn't know have any other information. Yeah, exactly. It was on the internet, so you didn't really know. But uh, yeah, that's just these these. It's kind of these um, thresholds, or I get you know these moments where you're like, oh, maybe I can win. Maybe I'm good. Maybe I can win. Maybe it's not. You know, maybe these guys are not just much better than me. So. Mm-hmm. It was, it was kind of cool moments, I guess, in my in my career. This is kind of a side question, but given that you grew up in an environment where the reputation was that players cheated hard and they cheated often, does that mean that when you played at the time, you were like especially guarded in every match, just watching out for cheats and things like that? No, um, I don't think it was too bad, honestly. And... Like, do you start watching for how people shuffle your cards because of that? No, ne- I was never, like, super suspicious because 
I think the people I played with on a day-to-day basis, I, I didn't think they were cheaters. You know, it was just that I think it was kind of all blown out of proportion to mm-hmm. it was, you know, maybe even romanticized to some extent or it was not like actual cheating, but maybe like opportunistic cheating or that kind of stuff. But I don't exactly remember. Um, but I, I was I didn't I, I never felt like I had to be like super careful also, um, you know, I maybe uh, after a while, I maybe assume people wouldn't try to cheat against me, but maybe against other players. I'm not too sure, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, that's that's part of the opportunistic thing, right? Because sometimes people do it because they feel entitled, and if they're playing against you, I think they they would probably not feel that. I, I'm just I'm just assuming, but. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think there's that's funny that you mentioned that. I think there's a huge like entitlement part in the because I remember the only time I ever cheated was kind of that feeling of I you know I should beat this guy and and it always felt really bad too. I was like playing a local. It was dumb too. It was like you know those sixteen men or maybe you know that's enough training tournament at our local game store. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of getting unlucky, and I was playing a good matchup, and I was like, just, I shuffled like a Wrath of God to the top of my deck or something, and it just felt, it was kind of good in some ways, it just, you know, it was just the worst feeling in the world, and it kind of cured me forever, I guess, because it was, I like, felt so bad, even though there was like, the stakes were like, there was no stakes, basically, I was playing for nothing against... Yep. guy i played against every day and stuff but uh that was definitely that kind of sense of and i still remember yeah the kind of entitlement and so going back to the pro tour thing i mean you're on the pro tour train so is this like when you just decide to fully commit to magic and it's it is now like your life right yes yeah, so i'm on the train uh 2001 2002 i'm in uh university um doing you know kind of math math studies i was never super into it but um i guess mostly because i was so obsessed with magic but yeah i was i was traveling to uh every pt i wasn't going to every gp like some of the other pro players i was fortunate enough you know i was doing well enough in the pt that i didn't need the extra points from the gps to stay on the train and um i kind of I was never a big GP person, like even less now, I maybe play like one or two a year. I mean, I'm probably not going to be playing any GPs now because they don't even give pro points anymore. Yeah. But uh, even even back in the day, I would I would never go, I would go to the French ones, you know, maybe London when it was in the Netherlands or Belgium, you know, like really the ones you could drive to. So, um, yeah, I was... Uh, as 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 on the train and um, I uh, yeah it was full full time I guess full time magic in some ways, uh, but I was still going to university. Basically, university I like first two years were pretty easy, so I, I passed these two, and then I got stuck in the third year for like I think I I, I did it like four or five times over without like failing every year. Because, uh, I mean, it's not like in the States, like university is basically free. So, and I guess they don't, they don't really care back then. I don't know if it changed now, but uh, that's also the the time I started playing poker. Basically I started going to the world series of poker over, you know, at the time where I was supposed to pass my exams and stuff or 
so it's like yeah i um yeah i played magic and i i found out about poker in 2003 i think i had become good friends with some of the american players and uh i was staying with uh huey jensen and brock parker and Ephraim maryland and they were just playing that game you know they were playing on their computer i was like what are you guys doing you know and they were like, oh, we're playing online poker. I'm like, what's that? I've never heard of poker. And they just, you know, kind of showed me. And so that was like, I guess, another big, uh, you know, big, big moment, just finding finding, uh, finding out about, about poker. How did you build up your bankroll in poker? How did you get started in that? Yeah, so what happened is they, they kind of showed me how to play. And when I got uh, home, I opened... Um, you know, I, I don't remember which side I opened an account for. So maybe it was Party Poker, maybe it was Poker Stars. Um, anyways, I opened an account and I figured, okay, I have a bit of money from Magic. I'm going to put $500 and if I lose it, I'm done. And if not, we'll see, you know. Mm-hmm. So that, that's what I remember doing. Um, and I think I like deposited 500 I probably played way too high stakes for my bankroll. You know, I had no idea about bankroll. You know, I was probably playing five ten, maybe five ten limit was five hundred dollars, which is absurd. Or maybe I don't exactly remember. Basically, I think I won a bit, so I decided to cash out five hundred. You know, mm-hmm. and I think I lost. You know, maybe I won like five hundred, cashed out five hundred, so I would have my money back no matter what. And maybe I lost the rest, so I redeposited five hundred, and maybe I kind of started to running up. It was back then when people were really bad and kind of like magic, I was lucky enough to know people who were better than me and could help me. We had a, you know, a channel on IRC. Uh, there was, um, so you guys were discussing hands and things like that. Yeah, exactly. There was, um, what is it? Wise draft back in the day, the Gary wise channel on IRC. So I think I joined wise draft and then we created kind of a branch for, poker which was called the poacher and uh yeah it was just like me brock huey you know justin bonomo um oh yeah yeah he uh he started with magic right he no he started with magic justin bonomo yeah but he he got successful super i think he was 15 when he started like crushing like poker or winning winning at poker and uh Mark Race, there was Dan Burdick, I think, back, um, Josh Ravitz. Anyways, there's a, you know, Eric Efro, all these people. So that was, that was another back in the day where the best material you could find was, you know, a couple of poker books. I still have them. The David Sklansky, uh, Theory of Poker. It's and classic. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was, you know, we could discuss hands and despite the fact I was probably, really bad you know but uh compared to the other players i was i was, I was good enough to uh, mm-hmm. to win so i just um basically i remember playing cash game during the week kind of trying to build a role to have enough money to buy into the big sunday tournaments you know the the 215 uh, on party poker the 215 on poker so the sunday i don't know if it was sunday million back then already but so it was kind of that i would like build a bankroll play the big tournaments usually do poorly you know just because of the sheer field of the uh, size of the fields and the variance and then rinse repeat and um 
Yeah, I don't exactly remember when I started doing really well, but uh, that's kind of how it all started. Did poker take over your life that it actually displaced magic, or were you still doing both of them equally? Um, at some point it did, uh, but I don't exactly remember when uh, when I started playing more, more poker than magic. Um, it was, I think it was, it was a bit later. It was maybe... Uh, six six seven years later where i really started to focus more on poker and less on magic i would um basically only play magic two weeks before each pt i would uh meet up with my team and we would practice and that was maybe like a bit after i won uh kyoto in 2009 where i started uh focusing way more on magic i also got a sponsorship deal a bit later but uh, yeah, it was basically kind of tough because I would show up at these PTs and I would just do poorly. And it took me a while to accept the fact that it's just not realistic to, you know, unless you're John Finkel or Dirk Babarovsky or some some kind of genius to just play two two weeks of magic before a PT show up and expect to, you know, to do good. Um, so that's kind of tough, you know, just scrubbing out of PTs, PT after PT. But you still decided to go with poker for, as your main game, right? Is that because of there was more financial incentive to do so? Or was it just, yeah, more exactly. I remember I, I really loved poker at first. It, it got bad like at the very end, but, um, I think it was probably because of the, the money, I mean, I loved, I loved, uh, I loved magic. I loved poker. I really enjoyed uh, playing poker back then, even online and stuff. It was, it was just fun, and I, it hadn't become a, hadn't really become a grind yet. And yeah, I, you know, the games were still pretty soft too. And uh, yeah, I guess it was because of the money. That's a good decision. It sounds like you realized that your magic game was suffering because of the focus on poker. So you pulled yourself back into magic somehow, right? Because you became a Hall of Famer. So something must have happened along the way for you to change your your velocity or what you were doing, right? Well, that was actually a bit after. Like I got into the Hall of Fame in 2010. So basically, I, you know, I like 2001, 2000, 2001 was my first few PTs. Yeah. Then I, I won the player of the year in 2004. Then I had, uh, you know, some some good years, some worse years. Uh, you know, we won a team PT in 2006. Mm-hmm. That was my first um, my first PT win. Then I won Kyoto in 2009, uh, the the match where I beat uh, Alizvi in the finals. I actually beat him in the finals, and the week after there was a legacy GP, and he gave me a deck list, and I won the GP with his deck list. So that was, you know. That's kind of cool too. Um, and then I got into Hall of Fame in 2010. And I guess the Hall of Fame maybe kind of, you know, blessing and a curse. I, I knew I was going to be qualified to all the PTs no matter what. And I probably stopped, you know, stopped trying as hard. Maybe there was a bit of the fire that was gone. Mm-hmm. And um, and then this plus poker made made it so that I was, uh, you know, I didn't do as well at Magic tournaments anymore. But no, that makes sense because... You're somebody who's very practical, right? So if you're already locked into the PTs, I mean, you're not going to be locked into every major poker event, so you can then focus on poker, right? Yeah, I guess that had a lot to do with it. And I, yeah, I guess I'm someone pretty practical, you know, just 
Uh, maybe that's a good way of saying. <laughs> yeah. So in, in the magic aspect, who are some of the better players that you collaborated with over the years to maybe a simple way to ask this is the players that really helped you grow as a player or help contribute to your finishes. Can you talk about some of them and how they have helped you? Um, yeah. So one of, uh, one of my best friends, uh, that I met through magic is Amiel Tenenbaum. And, um, we used to, uh, you know, him and another friend called my friend Damien. We we played together, you know, we play tested together, we brewed together, and um, the the GP London I was talking about it was actually a uh, uh, Amiel's deck. He's more of, as of a limited player, and I'm more of the constructive player. But that was uh, mostly his deck. I did well with. Um, it was like block. Anyways block constructed and it was like some Jeskai deck with a lightning angel and flame tonkavu and prophetic vault all these cards so um you know that was definitely um someone who i grew up playing magic with and you know probably had influence on my game and uh a, a bit later too when i got um when i got started having success and doing well and i kind of grew up an ego and i uh, think i had a period of time where i was kind of a I don't know if you can, I was kind of an asshole, you know, I was becoming of an asshole and it kind of got to a point where I was PT San Diego as a draft PT and I was six or seven zero on day one and I lost the last round of day one in the future match and I kind of threw my deck at, not at anyone, I just kind of threw my draft deck and actually there's one card that like ended up like kind of touching. I was playing against against Camille Cornelison. I think he beat me. Mm. And there was like Dirk Bavarovsky playing in the feature match and I kind of threw my deck and one of the cards touched him and he kind of looked back and like wondering what was going on. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. And then Amiel was like, dude, you're kind of you're kind of being an asshole and stuff. You need to, you know, do something. I just didn't realize, you know, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, entitlement, I guess, of expecting to always do well and stuff. So uh, I was I was lucky to you know have a friend to uh, keep me in check and stuff. So yeah, I mean that was definitely one. And then there was Emmanuel Vernet who helped me do well at PTs. You know, as far as Magic goes, he's the guy who won the first uh, GP ever. He won GP Amsterdam. Was it was constructed too as a, a modern red deck. You know, like I think it was Pillage and Balduvian Lords and all these cards, anyways. So despite the fact he was not qualified for the PT, I tested for a few PTs with him. Um, Franck Canu, I tested a lot with him. And we tested for a PT where I made top eight together. Um, so there's all the, all the really good French players, as you know, I was talking about that earlier, that definitely contributed to my success. And then, um, you know, a bit later, I, I became friends with a lot of the, the Americans. The Frenchies would actually make fun of me because I, I basically became a honor, honorary American. I'd hang out more with the Americans than I would hang out with the, the French players. Yeah, I read that too in some of the the pieces. So you 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 were you became an adopted American. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you know there was like these different periods that I was, um, you know, a bit later. Um, 
just you know hanging out i hung out a lot with uh huey you know i even stayed with them uh visited visited them he he used to live in la for a little while too and um later i became friends with uh you know herber Holtz. I, I know you talked to him a bit before this podcast he uh that's definitely uh you know one of one of the best friends i've made playing magic too and yeah lots of good memories you know just hanging out and playing magic and testing for the pt he uh he like I think the first time I met him, it was just we played money draft against each other, and I'm guessing he kind of beat me, and he kind of had a big mouth, you know. Mm-hmm. So I knew him from 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 money drafts, and then PT New Orleans, uh, 2003, I think it was extended. I was playing a Tinker Charbelchor combo deck, and he was playing regular Tinker. Tinker was kind of the D deck of the tournament. And I think we get paired in round one or something. And he, before the match, he asked me if he wants to, if we, he, I want to do a split with him. And I was like, oh, I don't know, you know, it's <laughs> round one. I draw, I like my deck. I'd rather not. I'm sorry. Anyways, you know, I beat him, and then I ended up coming second. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of glad he got me back. He got me back later, though. He 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 eventually got me, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and we I, I'm not I'm not exactly sure how, but we, we eventually became really good friends. And I spent a lot of time in uh in East Lansing, Michigan. And through Mark I met uh Chapin. We also became uh really good friends. Um you know, tested together for a lot of, of PTs. That was my playtest group for you know, a stretch of I don't know, maybe five years, because I think it started uh I mean, when I won Kyoto in 2009, we were still testing together. And, uh, yeah, so definitely, uh, you know, Mark was one of the the person I shared the, the most uh, during my time on the PT. Now, I really want to get your perspective on this because I've heard his side of the story about how you guys complemented each other when it came to deck building or innovating but I, I do want to hear, like, from your perspective, how you felt that relationship was like. Yeah, I, I know he likes to say that. Uh, how does he put it? It's like, I'm really bad at putting these kind of things into word, you know. You know, he likes to say that. Uh, and maybe it's probably true, you know, I have, like, kind of a lot of ideas and he's pretty good at, like, fo- you know, like, f- focusing uh putting me a bit more into focus, but, um, I don't know. We just, I feel like it was, we just really got along well, you know, it just, he, uh, he liked, you know, he, he, I just, just hanging. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure, honestly. Um, sorry. What is the question? <laughs> oh, I just mean like, how would you describe the way you guys complement each other as deck builders? Yeah, exactly. So I think one of the, yeah, like I said, the way he likes to put it is that I like have a lot of ideas and stuff, and he's pretty good at maybe uh, you know cutting the shaft and focusing on what matters and stuff. But um, we just just really got along, you know, just friendship and just bouncing ideas off each other, and you know, some having someone you really respect. 
I think that's really important when you're working with someone and not only magic, right? If you think that other person is not good or, you know, being on the same level was really, really a good thing, I guess. Just really good friends. You know, you can trust his judgment. Um, that's really important when you're testing for magic, I guess, in general, just knowing you can trust what the other person, the feedback they're going to give you and the results they're going to give you and their all that stuff. So just really good friends and a you know ton of respect for each other's games, I guess, is kind of key, right? Yeah, it sounds like he was always willing to give you direct and honest feedback because I remember reading an article where he said that you guys... Maybe I don't know if you guys actually played the match where you asked him about if you misplayed after you played a match and he said that you did. And then a few days later or maybe the next day, you're like, Mark, you were right. Like I actually misplayed. So it's like that was a story that really stood out to me when I was uh, reading up about the relationship. Yeah, that was a, a tough one. That was Wars in Paris. Uh, it was my top four match against Mihara. And it was uh, basically I had a really... A really close decision and I ended up st still to this day I'm not 100% sure I, I made the wrong decision but I think uh, I really didn't know it was basically I could keep counterspell mana up without going too much into detail I had the choice between keeping counterspell mana up and kind of play it safe quote-unquote or tap out on this turn and get super far ahead, but giving him a window, you know, it was that kind of like, do I play it safe, but maybe it ends up uh, backfiring or do I like tap out now, get super far ahead. And if I can dodge the, the one turn, you know, he was kind of manuscript. He was playing a dragon storm combo deck and I knew he didn't have much because that scene has his hand or something. So I decided to tap out and he like top deck what he needed and he killed me and I lost, I lost the game in the match. So, and yeah, after the, he was staying with me, we were testing together and it was in Paris. So he was staying with me and I was like, man, I like the, my first reaction was like, look at him and be like, you know, did I mess up? And he's like, yeah. And then it was my friend, friends like, no, leave him alone. He played fine, et cetera. And <laughs> I was like, I didn't know, you know, I honestly didn't know. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of my first uh, first reaction. And then before, just as he was leaving Paris, you know, he was like on the doorstep. And I was like, man, I think you're right. I think it was kind of that moment. I was like, I think you're right. I think I messed up. But uh, it was, that, was, that was kind of a tough loss. But yeah, definitely always honest feedback. And he just loved, loved to like just tease me and just, just uh, you know, he's kind of a bit of a bully, you know. Like, <laughs> He like he like he like to rub it in too. Likes to torture me. I don't know if he still does. Maybe he does. He he would take out a die and he would start ticking it up, and then you would ask him, "What is that for?" And he would say something like, "This is like for every misplay you make, I'm gonna tick up this die. Just just stuff to dagger you, right?" He definitely loves to, uh, you know, to dagger me. There's there's a bunch. There's a lot of stories of him. Uh, there's one story where we were uh, we were in Hawaii playtesting and we were actually playing Magic Online. And I guess we got paired together in a draft match or something. And 
I was like, we were playing, and I was like, Mark, why aren't you scooping? You're obviously dead. You know, you just can't win. He's like, oh, I have a plan. I have a plan. I'm like, come on, dude, just scoop. And then this goes on for a while. And then at some point, I realize I'm running really low on time. Yeah. The red timer on Magic Online. And I, like, start to panic and realize I'm not going to be able to kill him on time. I'm like, Mark, please just scoop. You know I won. This is not fair. You know, just scoop. And he's just laughing there. You know, we're on, sitting on the other side, you know, on the couch or whatever, just laughing his ass. I'm like, and I, he, he didn't scoop. I ended up getting timed out. And I was so mad. I was yeah. furious that he wouldn't scoop. And then he kind of, like, got me, like, the whole time that was his plan. And Right. So that's it's kind of that's kind of like you know, good story to uh, give you give you an idea of the. He said there was a time where you guys were, or you had to drop from an eight man event because you ate too much cheese. What was that about? <laughs> that's actually kind of you know great, like just fate, you know. So we're in East Lansing at his place in East Lansing, Michigan. And that's where he went to uh, to college, um, and I, I ended up spending a decent bit of time there. Um, so we're testing, we're testing for Worlds, uh, the Worlds in New York, two thousand seven. So we're play testing. I'm playing Magic Online. I'm playing some probably terrible white green deck, some standard deck. Anyways, I'm playing, and Mark's cooking. You know, he's gonna he's cooking. He's making some kind of pasta dish. Was you know, whatever pasta and mozzarella, etc. So he's like kind of cubing mozzarella. And I like, you know, take a little piece. And Mark's like, dude, that's for a pasta dish. Don't don't take any more. So I like kind of take one more and he's like, dude, stop or else I'll I don't even remember what he said, but he's like basically he's like, don't do it again or else it's gonna be bad. So I kind of like push the limits, you know, I like take another piece and I'm kind of laughing and he kind of just quietly just walks to my laptop, <laughs> takes my mouse and just drops me from the tournament. I'm oh, like, dude, why'd you do that? I just lost my entry fee. Like, he's like, I told you not to take cheese, any more cheese, you know, I like, <laughs> and I was like, I was like pretty mad. I was like, just, just incredible, right? Yeah. Kind of, yeah, just so I kind of storm off. I'm like, whatever. And we had that deck we wanted to try that Chapin had told us about. He Chapin had played some local event and he saw someone play with Dragonstorm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fine, I guess I like, you know, I'll try that deck, whatever the Dragonstorm deck. We hadn't tried it yet. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of build a deck, um, you know, based on what Chapin had told us, you know. We didn't have the exact deck list, but I kind of I built a deck and I started playing. And I think I, I don't even remember back then. I think it was eight mans. It wasn't even like the leagues where you go, you know, you play five matches. I think it was just like quarter semis finals. And I think I, I played a deck and I think I win like three in a row or four in a row. I win like nine or 12 matches in a row. Mm-hmm. And we're like, dude, deck is busted, you know? And we just stopped playing it online because we didn't want other people to... <laughs> to find out about it and we started testing live and uh you know that's the tournament where uh the the i i play i ended up making top four i played chapin in the semis uh chapin uh made it you know the dragon storm mirror match the, the ignite memories i don't know if you uh if you've seen that <laughs> yeah so 
but that's kind of that's kind of how it all started you know me uh me me pushing mark's buttons and uh definitely mark is there's no re-raising mark you know he, he's gonna get the He's he's gonna get the last uh, the last words. Yeah. So, uh, but that was kind of a, a cool story and how the how the the, the just the dragon storm uh, deck kind of kind of yeah it all started kind of. It it was fate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, what about your relationship with Patrick Chapin? What what was that like? Um. So I didn't really know. Patrick, uh, uh, you know, at all, you know, maybe I've I had heard his name, but I don't know if you want to talk about that. But that was back when he, you know, he was just coming out of prison. You know, he he knew Mark really well. You know, Mark had sent him letters and stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. He he. I think he used to go to PTQs was was Chapin and stuff. And uh, you know, he yeah. Mark's talked about it a lot. You know how he. Uh, one of the first matches he played. I don't know the exact story, but it's pretty cool if, if you like, uh, uh, if people listening like to read uh, about, you know, good magic stories and stuff. Her else articles, uh, all articles are really cool, cool to read. Um, yeah, so basically he's like, you know, that's Chapin. Uh, you know, he told me about him, and he's like, you know, even when he was in prison, he used to like send him deck lists and stuff, and you know, talk to him a lot. And I think that helped Patrick a lot, but, uh, yeah, I didn't really know him, but, you know, I had a bunch of money and he was like, we, we, you know, he's like, I don't even remember if Patrick asked me or Mark asked me, but I think I, I lent him $5,000, um, you know, despite barely knowing him. And so he could get back on his feet and stuff. And, um, you know, it took him a while, but eventually he did. He paid me back. We became friends, etc. But, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was one of my. That was my first time in Michigan. I remember I got into Detroit airport and I uh, I took a cab to that, not not the greatest part of town, I guess. Uh, but I didn't know better back then. You know, it was yeah. Anyways, and I I, I stayed with uh, with Chapin uh, for a few days, and then we drove to uh, to East Lansing, and um, yeah, no, we just um, we we became. Uh, we became good friends too, even though it's, you know, it was not as easy as was, uh, you know, Mark when it was not the same, maybe complicity as was Mark, but, uh, do you still talk to Chapin regularly? Are you guys still pretty close or are you guys still work on things together? Um, not, not really. We talk uh, when we see each other at the, the PT, you know, we will catch up and stuff, but, uh, definitely definitely not as close as we used to be yeah patrick just seems like a super busy guy you know he's always been um you know i think just just yeah just doing it always feels like he's doing a million things and you know just just overall uh i think pretty driven and ambitious and stuff and Mm -hmm. And uh, you know that you know whether it's the Star City or you know even the 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 yeah. rap album he did or he he also works at I think Direwolf and always feels like he has a lot going on. So um, you know he he also like stop I kind of the same time I think we both stopped focusing a bit uh, less on magic uh, or on the PT anyways maybe not magic but right 
Um, but yeah, he's built that huge brand for himself. But yeah, we don't we don't talk as definitely don't talk that much. You know, just just once in a while at the when we see each other at the PT. It's hard to keep up with everyone, you know. Um, and I'm kind of like somewhat introverted too, so I don't like. You know, it's it's and you know with these with these guys, you don't need to. You like you see each other. It's like even if you haven't seen each other for like a few years, it's like you never really lost touch. You know, or just it just goes back what it used to be. Back in the day, I I actually read his book Next Level Magic, and that was actually interesting enough. That was one of the first times I I knew about you was through his mention of you in his book. So that was. Uh, uh, you know, I had seen some of the, the videos, Dragonstorm and things like that, but I actually think that his work was very instrumental to Magic's development. Yeah, no, that's a great book. I actually have a, a copy of the book, and it's pretty cool. He was kind enough to, I think, I'll listen to yes, second, second greatest tech builder of all time behind Z, so that, that's kind of cool. But uh, yeah, he just put in so much work, honestly, just his articles, his his influence was was huge. I mean, he was maybe the biggest name in Magic for a while, right? Yeah, definitely. Gab, I wanted to sort of transition to another area, which is something that you're doing more of, and I guess you've been doing it for since 2017, which is the streaming. This is really broad, but can you just describe how involved streaming is in your life at this point? Yeah, um... Well, it's my, uh, you know, main source of income and I do it, uh, full-time, you know, I stream maybe, uh, 30, 35 hours a week. And, um, it all started was the Pantheon, actually, the, 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 the playtest group we had, we had this idea of, um, having our channel and since it was 15 of us, uh, you know, if we just all streamed uh, once a week, that would be pretty much a you know full schedule. So um, we we started doing it. I kind of enjoyed it. I think most of the others didn't really. I think maybe QA kind of liked it too, but um, no one really got into it besides me. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, um, I just it was too early 2017 and. I was hating uh, online poker and I went on that downswing. You know, it wasn't my first downswing, but I was like, you know, maybe it's time to to move on. Maybe I'll give this streaming uh, thing a, a shot. And I knew that I wouldn't start from zero because of who I was, you know, so I, I'd, I'd get a little head start and I, uh, I reached out to a channel Fireball, see if I could uh, start uh, producing content for them on a regular basis. Um, you know, I had a bit of, uh, I, we had a bit of money saved, so I figured I, I'd had, you know, at least six months, a year, you know, I had time to see if it went anywhere and financially I could, I could afford to do so. Is this when you were already married or was this a little bit after? Yeah, we've been, I guess, two, we've, we met, we got married in two, in 2011. So, um, you know, my, I think my, my wife was working too. So we had, you know, I still have a decent bit of money from poker. We, we bought a, we bought a house a few years ago, um, or an apartment. So, mm-hmm. so on that side, you know, I know I had, I had, uh, 
bit of time and she was cool with this uh you know as long as we felt like it went somewhere and it was growing and stuff so i decided to give it a shot there was also the time where they were recruiting a play design um for wizards for wizards yeah they were recruiting play design they were changing ceos so i had that feeling that you know that was a really good time for magic if any i felt like things were kind of changing at wizards and they were ambitious you know it sounded like the 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 previous ceo was kind of waiting for you know whatever it is that they wait for when like not taking risks and the company's doing fine and just waiting on I don't know. Status quo. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, so I was like, I don't know. It looks like they're finally trying to uh, to make uh, – t- I mean, not that they were doing a terrible job, but it, it looks like things were changing at Wizards and maybe it – it um, how do you say? Just There's some optimism maybe or some, some things that you think might improve. Exactly. And I don't know if – I'm not even sure if Arena was in the cards – that at that point but it looked like i kind of had the right read you know and uh given how things are going right now anyways so yeah i gave it a shot i really enjoyed it um and uh it, it's going it's going well you know what did you enjoy most about streaming when you got started um my memory is really bad so i don't remember but just interacting with people i guess i used to stream a bit of poker for poker stars um you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it on my own. But when they asked me to, I would. And um, just interacting with people, and it, it's just really fun, honestly. It's, um, you know, sometimes now that it's uh, kind of my job and I have a schedule and stuff, I have to stick to. That's one of the most important things when you stream is having a schedule. You know, sometimes I'm like, man, I don't really want to stream right now, but I have to. But then as soon as I start streaming and people tuning and I start talking, I'm like. It's always, it's almost always great, you know. The only exceptions are when I'm maybe a bit tired, you know, if I'm like a bit tired and losing a lot and <laughs> games kind of, you know, once in a while, it's so rare. And yeah, it's, I've just been uh, just really liking it. And uh, it had this the sided, uh, side bonus of, uh, you know, me, I started doing better at Magic at, PTs again mm-hmm. because I, I play I play way more magic than I used to obviously um, I don't play as much as you know maybe 15 years ago when it was literally all I did and thought of you know I, I have a wife and I have you know another hobby that takes a bit of time and I'm not as you know obsessed with it but I definitely started you know I started doing better at the PT we came in fifth in the team PT last year and I had a being a top 16 finisher. I had like actually my best year last year since uh, since I won my PT. So that was cool too. I qualified for the Magic Online Championship. I got an invite to the Mythic Invitational. That was amazing. Um, no, nah, it's been good, honestly. I, I mean, I've always been super fortunate and pretty much everything I've done. And, you know, it's this, this, is, this is going well uh, as well. I don't make a... You know, as much money as I used to playing poker, but I'm also much happier. So, um, you know, I make enough and, and uh, yeah, I'm just, things are good. Are there things about streaming or making content in general that people may not know about? 
Are there things that you've had to learn that were maybe kind of surprising to you before you started streaming? I don't think so. I don't have like specific tips or anything. Um, I'm not sure how it is when you start from scratch though. Oh, because you're kind of a known player already. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like most people who start streaming, they start with literal, you know, zero or one view or their friend watching. And uh, it takes a while. I, I think I started with maybe 60 viewers or so, 50, 60 viewers. And now I have maybe, depends, you know, about around 500. Um, but um, well, one advice I give if you're starting from scratch is kind of find your, your niche, you know, something pretty specific that makes you stand out, you know, whether it's the format you play, the decks you play, something, you know, it's maybe something a bit different. But uh, things that people might not know, um, I think I think at that point, most streamers are kind of open, you know, whether it's on Twitter or stuff when they're having a rough day or, you know, it's, I guess maybe, I mean, it's kind of might be obvious, but, you know, when, it, when something becomes your job, it's maybe not as fun as it used to, but uh, it's... I still, I still really enjoy it. You know, maybe sometimes you're like, oh, I want to do something else. You know, I don't. But uh, it might be hard for people who have real jobs to understand and relate. But well, I think that's one of the things that people often underestimate is because there's been recently some news about not to make this super topical, but there have been people that have been added to the NPL who are more of the streamer streaming background, and I think people maybe naturally because of Magic's heritage, downplay the work that's needed to become one of the most well-known or some of the most well-known streamers out there. And I think one of the things, certainly through my work with Cardboard Live and, and just being a fan, I actually think that streaming is a job and it's just as hard as anything, including being a, a Magic player with great results because there's a lot of consistency and hard work and showing up that I think people don't often see or people see it, but they don't maybe acknowledge it as strongly. I'm, maybe I'm kind of rambling, but that's just what comes to mind. So that's really hard topic for me because I, I consider myself extremely fortunate and lucky. And I feel like I've never really had to work hard for anything in my life, whether it's, you know, magic, poker, the stream. I've just... I don't know. And it's actually one of my pet peeve when people say, talk about that kind of stuff as hard work, you know? And that's why I say it's hard for me to relate. I don't want to judge anyone because maybe some people obviously have tougher roads than others. But uh, it'll definitely make me cringe a bit sometimes when I see people say stuff like, oh, I'm, my hard work paid off. And I'm like, dude, you're playing a game you love it's i actually saw that just recently was the, the mcq arena or anyways basically but I, I definitely i'm definitely sure there's some people for who you know that actually you know it's it's really hard for me to to you know I, i'm guessing it's somewhere in the middle but for me i've never felt like i had to really work that hard for for anything because I don't know. I just got to do uh, what I love. So uh, 
it's but i'm sure for some streamers you know if you start from scratch and you know maybe someone like numa just had to or people had to stream you know for like days and days was like zero or one viewer or whatever you know but i i can't i can't really relate and and even then you know they're they were probably doing something they really liked you know and uh i, I don't know it's tough definitely tough topic for me and it's definitely something i you know i i, I think about a decent bit and you know, whenever I see that, the whole like, oh, he deserved it or the hard work or the, <laughs> you know, especially when it comes down to like, you know, it's, I mean, it's a big conversation, right? You know, CIS, uh, you know, white CIS males, uh, all their quote unquote hard work and, uh, you know, right. And I'm like, <laughs> so that's, that's definitely a, an interesting subject and kind of. Yeah, I, I, the only thing I can say about this is that we can only look at things from our own perspective. So sometimes when you look at someone else's achievements or what they claim to have done, we can't help but judge it on our terms. And there's always people that are more fortunate than us. And again, this is using our own uh, subjective criteria, more fortunate yeah. than us. And there are always people that are less fortunate than us. So it's kind of funny because it's almost like you can't win. It's better if no one just verbalized anything, but that's unfortunately not the world we live in today where it's like everyone has to tweet something and say something. Yeah. And, and it's, it's crazy, right? That's often that feeling I have. Like I participate in Twitter as well, but I don't know if it's actually a good thing for me to do that, you know? Yeah. It's, it's kind of this weird circle where you have to, you know, kind of, I mean, yeah, it's like the, it's always the same thing, you know, it's like the, the thing people want to see and hear is, is like the, the sensational and this and that and not the mild, uh, mild, mild takes or, you know, the mild manner sentiments and all, all that stuff. I don't even know where I'm going with that, but, um, yeah, basically like, I mean, put it you know i'm like maybe top five top 10 magic players of all time if you look at resume i, I think you're top three so let's let's not be uh too humble here or I'll, I'll say that if i had to guess i'm probably not top thousand deserving magic players of all time just because what i was talking about i was i grew up in paris we had a great player base we had a great local s uh, store you know i had you know, my family wasn't rich, but also I had, you know, my mom who gave me a bit of money every week so I could like pocket money so I could have like buy magic cards and stuff. And I didn't have to like get a job to pay for university because university was free and I didn't have to get a job to pay for my hobbies because, mm -hmm. you know, I, I just like did well at magic too, just won prizes that helped, I guess. So it's, it's, uh, you know. But you know what? At the end of the day, you can't qualify everything by saying, first of all, I, I want to say that I really love the fact that you appreciate the luck or the circumstances in which you were born or raised or in under environment you play magic. But you can't qualify everything and say, oh, yeah, but he or she had this and this. Like at the end of the day, in the history books, it's just going to be you're a top three magic player of all time. It doesn't matter yeah. that someone else could have done it. They didn't do it, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Um, yeah, I don't know. Right now, I feel like my perspective is, I don't know, just, you know, do kind of, you know, do the, I just 
you know, even if things don't work out for you or you don't get this, try and like just be happy with the people it happened to, you know, and just mm-hmm. if it's happening to like someone good, then, you know, every kind of a thing where every, you know, the goal is that everyone wins, mm-hmm. even if it's not you. Yeah. It's try to be, uh, you know, it's actually funny. It's one of the first things I read in that one of those David Sklansky book, he was talking about how he's at the poker player. He's rooting for his opponent. This way, if his opponent wins, he's happy. And if he wins, then he's happy too. And I kind of try to have like that, that approach. But at the same time, it's kind of easy for me in some ways to do that because I've already had like a lot of success and, you know, I'm doing fine. I'd probably be fine financially. And so I kind of have that mentality where I try to anyways to be like, you know, if it's Sure, maybe I didn't win, but it means someone else won, and that person's probably pretty awesome. Especially in the magic community, we're pretty lucky to have a, you know. And it's kind of tough too when it comes down to uh, when they talk about people cheating and banning and all that stuff. It's kind of I don't know how to think about it because at the end of the day, if we're getting rid of them, then someone they're gonna go somewhere else, you know, and so it feels like kind of a cop out, you know, even when it comes down to someone like, I don't even know him, but you know, Bert and Cheney, you know, like sure. Like he's out of our game finally, but you know, it's, it's not in a vacuum, you know, there's a world out there, you know, some, you know, he might have, you know, instead of, so I don't know. It's, it's kind of, it's complicated. Yeah. It's really complicated. Uh, no, I appreciate you sharing your your thoughts on this because it's not easy to have discussions about it, especially when everyone expects people to have hot takes all the time. So I guess that's one thing I tried to do is was the stream and or maybe a bit on Twitter, but Twitter is tough because I don't. I usually pretty like mostly lighthearted posts on Twitter, and I don't get really into uh, too many conversations. But just you know, try and you know have that kind of you know, influence and all that, all that stuff. So that's one of the cool things was the the stream too. Yeah. It sounds like you're pretty open with talking about different things on the stream. That's nice. Yeah. Even though it's like not the most useful because it's a bit of a bubble and most people who watch my stream probably already to some extent think like me. Mm-hmm. And when there's someone that's not, you know, that's kind of trolling or saying, you know, some kind of obviously bad takes and, and it's kind of hard to change their mind, but, uh, yeah. So sometimes it feels like a bit of an echo chamber and that's kind of the thing on Twitter too, that I see a lot and I don't know what to think about it. I think it might be good in the overall, but it's, you know, the, like these like takes that are like kind of obvious and feel like kind of a bit almost condescending sometimes or self-righteous or like, yeah, I mean, but, um, you know, it's the, the, yeah, the whole social media trying to get the likes and the follows and grow your following. So you have more opportunities and mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely, uh, interesting. Do you ever feel like people maybe treat you differently because you're Gabriel Nassif? They would act differently towards you. I mean, obviously you can't know that for sure because you're not, not Nassif, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah, no, for sure that happens. I, I don't, I don't have names in mind, or I'm not even sure if I could think of anyone. But I mean, you hear these stories all the time of people. You know, I, I've had 
very few bad interactions with almost anyone because people are not going to, you know, be dicks to me or, but, you know, there's, I'm sure you definitely hear these stories are people who are jerks and I'm like, oh, really? You know, I've never had a bad interaction with them or whatever, or me or someone else or just because they're not going to be, you know, because I'm me. And so that's definitely a thing, I'm sure. Does it make it hard to have good friends in magic or is it just like the friends that you know that have always been the same skill level as you like you know these are your true friends kind of thing i don't know i i feel like you know obviously people are gonna probably want to be friends with me but uh i guess i you know i first of all i guess i don't go to that many magic events you know i i just mostly go for the pts and and i guess in in the end i guess i get to choose you know, who I want to be friends with kind of a thing or who I want to spend more time with, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, there's definitely a bit of, you know, I, with the stream now, there's my viewers and sometimes I, 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 meet, I meet some and, you know, there's definitely like some with whom there's more affinity. And usually you could tell from like the way, the way I, you know, well, you know, I, I feel like I have a pretty good idea who I'm going to get along with and who I'm not. But then sometimes you have good surprises, you, like you had people you didn't expect and you meet them in real life and they're a bit different or not exactly what you pictured. And you feel like, yeah, I could be good friends with that person and stuff. But at the end of the day, I only go to like four or five magic tournaments. So, you know, it's just a, a few days a year or so. There's only so much time and it's true. I'm going to want to, you know, default to spending time with my my good friend or friend people I've been friends for for a long time you know like Huey or Reed or Finkel or you know that I get to see like three four times a year so it's yeah it's it's not easy so what does the future hold for you do you have any upcoming goals at all I don't know if you're a goals person I don't want to assume that but how do you see this sort of playing out in the next couple of years or even in the next six to twelve months it's kind of my one of my faults. I'm not. I'm fairly lazy. I'm not. I don't feel like I'm. Um, I don't feel like I'm especially ambitious either. So I don't really have goals. Uh, you know, I, I I like the stream. Um, you know, to some extent, I'd like to be a, a good influence on in the magic community. Whether it's you know helping people get better at magic or you know just just making it a better community overall. And um, yeah, I don't have crazy goals. Uh, just, you know, just trying to make good decisions and, you know, be, be happy kind of a thing. And, um, you know, with my wife, just make sure things are good. I don't, I don't know. It's nothing's nothing special, I guess. You know, obviously it'd be great if Arena help magic get to the next level and more people and it means better things for me but uh yeah not not nothing uh nothing specific really just you know keep keep streaming keep putting up content people enjoy whether it's you know my articles and videos on channel fireball or you know the stream yeah nothing nothing special honestly I don't. I don't know exactly know where I see myself. You know, in a few years, if how long I'm going to keep streaming. You know, I did the poker thing for 
a long time and you know there's always that psychological or i don't know like you know after doing the same thing for seven or ten years no matter what it is you know you know maybe eventually it uh it gets a bit uh but I, i don't think i'm there yet with the stream anyways and uh or you know we're lucky we we have a great game we have two two good platforms now and the people who designed the guard have been hitting home runs like for the past x years now and so i don't know things looking pretty good i guess is there something that you would tell the younger nasif if you could go back in time five years Uh, thought about that a bit not really i kind of know what you know what i'm what i'm supposed to do i feel it's just just doing it you know that's you know i've been pretty lucky i've never really been depressed or anything but uh you know sometimes it's like you know you feel a bit down and all that stuff and I think for me anyways, a big thing is when I knew when I do what I know I'm supposed to be doing, I'm just happy, you know, you just feel like you're getting stuff done. And I think that's really important, whether it's, you know, going to the swimming pool or writing my article on time. One of the big things I I struggle with is it's it's one of my least favorite parts is writing articles just because it's really hard. For me, sometimes I, I don't want to you know just phone it in, and I want to put up something that's you know actually insightful and worth people's time, and it's not always easy. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I really you know I really enjoyed it when it's done, and I did a good job, and it's up on the site. But writing it sometimes it's kind of torture, but it also like one of the things that pays me to. The most out of what I do, you know, it's about half, my income is about half the stream and half, you know, videos and articles for Channel Firewall. So, uh, so uh, that, that part's tough, but, you know, I'll have tough when I, I just won't write it and put it off and then I feel that and, you know, where it is if I get it done, I don't know. So just, I guess I don't have advice for past me. I just wish I could you know, I'll do these things a bit better and be more, you know, I have like, I play a lot of Dota. It's a Dota 2, it's a video game and it's, you know, borderline kind of bit of addiction and kind of takes a lot of time. So I, you know, I wish I played less of that, but I know I should be playing less, you know, and doing more stuff, more other things, but sometimes it's hard, you know. Well, don't let other people say what you should and shouldn't do, right? You strike me as someone who is guided by happiness or you know, doing what you feel like is the right thing to do. So you can't, I think there's often a danger in overstructuring one's life that the, the fun is not there, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And even that, like, sometimes I wish I was, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe I should get into politics and help change things and have bigger impact, not just magic and stuff. But then I'm like, eh, you know, I'm just pretty happy doing what I, you know, when I was talking, I'm a bit lazy and not very ambitious, you know, that's kind of the, you know, I mean, maybe not getting in politics, but getting more involved in just anything, you know, that just have a, and that was what was nice was the stream, you know, it was poker super, you know, it's just super solitary, you know, it's you, you're trying to make money and it's not very fulfilling and, you know, 
streaming and playing magic you know it's not uh you know it's not the red cross or you're not like helping uh you know poor poor kids around the world but it's still like it's still a little better than helping people yeah it's like definitely a much you know so that's that's been really really important i think just having an impact on a on a, and you see that in poker you see the way some of the poker players try to have that impact is just to give a lot of money to charity and get involved in charity and stuff because there's definitely that that lack of uh of fulfillment if you're just playing poker and making money and stuff yeah so um so that's been that's been a you know i think definitely contributed to me being happier is just having an impact on even if it's like small and it's you know it's still like something and don't underestimate the impact you have on people who enjoy magic as a game because your content your results your decks your writing your videos your streams they've they arguably they probably help more people than if you went into politics or something else right uh-huh, maybe yeah uh yeah i guess so i never really thought about that but yeah it's, it's i mean it's possible very cool. So, Gab, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk about a whole bunch of different things. I think we kind of went through different parts, but I really enjoyed it. And I hope you enjoy talking to me as well. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. Too. I mean, I, I love, you know, talking about magic and these stories and these things and, you know, or other subjects too, like just, in, just interesting, I guess. And even if it's not always easy to to put in words and stuff but uh, yeah no it was it was cool thank you thank you so much i wish you a great rest of the week a great stream as always and just take care and be well yeah okay thank you man and i hope i don't know maybe we'll actually meet each other because uh, i met uh i met your partner but uh you're the carbo live uh i met him a couple times but i don't know if uh i don't we've never met right I don't believe we have, but I actually went to Paris for the first time in November last year. Okay. I definitely will will reach out if I'm ever back there. Yeah, you should. All right. Sounds good. Now that I know where you are, <laughs> I can actually <laughs> meet up with you because I just thought yeah. you were somewhere in, in the United States for whatever Yeah, reason. people always seem because I stream in English and I speak English well and and all that stuff people always assume i'm maybe but yeah yeah and for someone growing up in canada i realized that my french is just atrocious and i felt very <laughs> ashamed of myself when i was in paris and i had to like try but i, I went back to english pretty quick so i think they, they appreciate it when they when they see you try i think it goes a long way if you're making the effort even if your french is not a yeah but you know, I'm a I'm a results oriented person. So if I can't communicate <laughs> with someone, then you know, let's go back to English. You know. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much, and uh, I'll talk to you next time. All right, later, James. Thanks.